0: morning. It's a privilege to be before you and to bring God's Word. Please open your Bibles to Acts chapter 8, Acts 8. The sermon this morning is a bit out of the ordinary. Typically, Pastor Greco, our senior minister, is here and preaching through a book, and um, he will return next week, at Lord willing, and resume the study in John. Uh, this morning, we're uh, this sermon is kind of a one-off, if you will, and uh, we're going to be looking at, at Acts 8:26 through 40. Um, the book of Acts um, is an exciting and unique book in all of Scripture. It, it just tells again and again of of, of God's uh, remarkable power in bringing individuals and sometimes huge groups of individuals to Himself. It's it gives a historically accurate account, that's the primary purpose of it, is to give this historically accurate account of the, the spirits moving to establish the church and to preserve the church and God's providential care over the church. Um, if we were to consider maybe some secondary purposes, um, it would be that, that to show that, that the gospel is not just for the Jews, but that God saves Gentiles, God saves all kinds of people. It shows us that, the book shows us that Christianity is a continuation of the Old Testament Israel within God's overall redemptive historical plan. And we need to keep these things in mind as we consider the text that's before us, this conversion account. We've, up to this point, if you'll recall, um, if you know the book of Acts, you know that in chapter 2, Peter preaches this fantastic sermon on the day of Pentecost. There's 3,000 souls brought into the kingdom Um, We see um, further conversions, in fact, in in the first part of this chapter, chapter 8, Philip is preaching in Samaria, and many souls come to faith there. But this, he is called then from that ministry in Samaria to a desert place, and here he shares the gospel with an individual, Um, and we want to look at this text under three headings, an unclean man, an extraordinary opportunity, and an eager convert. You see that in your uh, insert in your bulletin. I want to read this text, but before we do, let's pray and ask God's blessing upon the reading and proclamation of His Word. Let us pray. Gracious and merciful God, we thank You for Your Word. What a, what a blessing and what a gift it is to us. And it, it calls us to You and it teaches us about Your grace and the way that You call sinners of various kinds to Yourself. So, Lord, drive your word home today to us. We need it. Lord, make it be a sharp sword that divides and and cuts into our hearts, Lord, we pray. And, Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Acts 8, beginning with verse 26. Now, an angel of the Lord said to Philip... in His holy and inerrant word. I remember with some fondness an event from my youth in which I was probably as dirty on the outside as I possibly could be. I was young enough that I enjoyed getting dirty, and I was old enough to have a little freedom to do some things with my friends. There was a water leak at the school where my dad was, was a, a, an administrator and a teacher, and um, it was a Christian school, I didn't have much money, and I think there might have been somebody helping him, but they were looking for a leak in this water line, and I just remember this hole filled with muddy water, and in my eagerness, I jumped in and tried to locate the leak and was able to help find it and help fix it. And a friend of mine was there as well, and we decided since we were already filthy, we would go fishing and maybe wade a little bit in the river to, to maybe come home cleaner than we were in the middle of the day. I had a license then to get dirty and didn't really face any consequences. However, I have never faced ceremonial uncleanness like the man in our text this morning. I've never been excluded from worship or events because of some physical flaw or imperfection. I have enjoyed being part of a dominant ethnicity where I don't think I've ever really faced discrimination But the man described in our text this morning faced both things. He was ceremonially unclean because he was a eunuch. And he was also not a son of Abraham. Which meant he was not part of the natural born family of God of the old covenant. He was far away from his home, the land of Ethiopia. Deep in Africa, south of Egypt. He was an outsider by birth and even if he were to become a proselyte Jew which many commentators think he probably had he was still excluded from the assembly because of his physical defect deuteronomy 23:1 explicit is explicit in saying that no eunuch can enter the assembly of the lord this man's story like ours could be traced to the garden of eden He, uh, like you and me, was created in God's image and yet fell with all mankind in our common father, Adam's first sin. In this way, the Bible story includes him. Yet his people play a minor role. His ancestors were among those scattered that we read about in Genesis 11 at the Tower of Babel, those who were scattered across the earth. And while the Ethiopians may have existed in obscurity in the pages of Scripture, they could trace the promise back to the first glimpse of the gospel in Genesis 3.15. And they could find themselves included in God's promise to Abraham that he would bless him and make his descendants a blessing to the other nations. This man, we read in our text, was a man of prominence in a royal court in his country. He oversaw the treasury of Candace. Now, Candace was not a personal name, commentators tell us, but rather a title for the queen mother who did certain tasks and royal responsibilities for the king. And at times, I think she possibly did rule. She may have not been the top ruler, but was near the top of the hierarchy in the royal family. And some commentators consider the management of her funds ...on par with the management of the treasury of the nation. Now we don't really know the scripture... ...what we know about the Ethiopian eunuch we've just read. So we have to kind of think about what may have happened... ...as we seek to understand him in his context and in this culture. We don't know if it was his own decision to become a eunuch or not. Perhaps he voluntarily became one... ...so that he might serve in certain roles in government... However, it's also very likely that that was done to him. He could have been a slave, and this happened a lot, that slaves were taken and they were forced to become eunuchs. They were castrated against their will, um, but then they were placed in places of servitude and in and, and the custom of that day, they were considered to be especially trustworthy. They were often the household servants or the ones in charge of the king's harem of wives, other places of ranking servitude. And perhaps his prominent role in the court of Candace was due to his condition. But while his condition may have opened doors for him occupationally, it closed other doors for him religiously, because as we said, it excluded him from the assembly of the Lord. We don't know very much about him, but we know he wanted to worship God. We know he had been to Jerusalem for that express purpose and was returning to his, his country. And he was on his way home, bumping along in his chariot, he probably, being the man of prominence that he was, probably had someone else, had a driver for his chariot, and he was able to read. And what was he reading but the prophet Isaiah? And that tells us something about him, that he was a man of means. He he traveled in a chariot, he didn't just walk. He had someone that that likely drove him and he was able to purchase this Isaiah scroll, which would not have been cheap. And God in his grand providence had prepared this scenario for the gospel to go forth. He called Philip to leave his successful ministry in Samaria to go to the desert. He didn't tell him what for, but he told him to go. And that might have seemed absurd to Philip the evangelist, but also Philip was a deacon. We read about him earlier in Acts. But he obeyed and he was just in the right place at the right time for him to meet this African man in his chariot. And there he is reading Isaiah 53. And that brings us to our second point, this extraordinary opportunity. Now we as followers of Jesus Christ and those who seek to understand God's word recognize that we are saved because god draws us that was the song that we just sang you know i sought the lord and afterward i knew it was god drawing me to him and that's that's kind of my testimony and it may be yours as well but but we recognize that were it not for god's sovereign electing love drawing sinners to himself we would not be saved Because we are dead in our sins, Ephesians 2 tells us. We lack even the ability to respond to the gospel. Now some of you here may have dramatic testimonies of of being deep in sin prior to your conversion. And God gloriously changing you and giving you this this, uh, uh, Damascus Road experience, if you will, where you are turned from darkness to light. There's others here. That have maybe what you might consider a boring testimony. Of really never knowing a day where you didn't know the Lord Jesus Christ. Let me tell you folks, if that's your testimony, that's a beautiful testimony. That's a glorious testimony. And let me say something to you children this morning. Come to Christ today. If you understand that you are a sinner and that Christ died to save sinners, you can trust in Christ. You don't have to wait till you're 16, till you're 18, till you're 30. Don't wait. Today is the day of salvation, children. Come to Christ today. Seek to understand Him. Learn His Word and come to Christ. What a beautiful testimony for those that have come to faith at an early age and can say, I never knew a day when I didn't trust Christ as my Savior. But this Ethiopian came in a most extraordinary way. We read in our text that Philip is there in the desert and the Spirit speaks to him and says, go over to that chariot and join yourself to him. We don't know if there's other other, other camels or travelers on foot or other chariots there, but God said, go to that chariot and join yourself to it. Philip obeys. He runs over to the chariot. He hears the man uh, probably reading aloud, which was customary in that day. Um, And the tense of the language in the text suggests that he had been reading for some time. Perhaps he started at the beginning of Isaiah and was reading through and gotten all the way to chapter 53. And Philip hears him and he says, do you understand what you're reading? What an awesome gospel opportunity that is. And what's the man's reply? How can I unless someone show me? ...unless someone guides me. And you got to think... ...and we've got to pause right here and think... ...what persistence and humility this man shows. This man who is an outsider... ...this man who, who is persistent in worshiping God... ...has traveled a long distance... ...to worship the God of the Israelites. Here he's reading God's word... ...and he is reading to understand... ...and yet he humbly admits... ...that there's things that he doesn't understand... And he needs the help of others to learn it rightly. If you've been around here very long, you, you recognize we try to preach all of the counsel of God. But Scripture itself tells us that there are passages within God's Word that are difficult to understand. Peter says that about the Apostle Paul's writing. So if, if the Apostle Peter says that, do you think you and I might have some struggles sometimes? But let me ask you, are you persistent enough Like the Ethiopian eunuch to admit your ignorance when you have it? Or do you just fake it and say, I'm just going to keep reading as though I I know it? Do you look for helps? Do you look to trusted teachers? Do you find commentaries? Do you get a study Bible? Do you ask questions? Do you interact with the preacher following the sermon? Do you engage your heart and mind as you hear God's word proclaimed? Commenting on verse 31, John Calvin said, This is the true reverence of the Scripture. When we acknowledge that there is wisdom laid up there which surpasseth all our senses, and yet, notwithstanding, we do not loathe it, but reading diligently, we depend upon the revelation of the Spirit and desire to have an interpreter given to us. In other words, we don't quit. We keep going. We're persistent in trying to, to, be, to have an understanding of God's Word. We recognize that the Spirit inspired God's Word and the Spirit illuminates God's Word. So we should pray that the Spirit would open our eyes to receive God's Word. That's what we should do. We don't loathe it, we don't hate it, as Calvin said, but we, we persist, we're diligent. We depend upon the revelation of the Spirit and we seek help where needed. And that's what this man did and that's what we must do as well. This text he's reading, it's um, a quote from Isaiah 53, 7 and 8. We know it as, as the, the servant song. It speaks of, of, we know that it speaks of the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, the text, as it's given to us, if, if you were to turn back in Isaiah, you can do that later. But if you were to turn back in Isaiah, you would see a little difference in how things are worded. It, it seems that he was probably reading the Septuagint, which was the Greek interpretation or the Greek translation of of the old testament, because it lines up very closely with that. But it says there in, in our text, verses thirty one and thirty or thirty-two and thirty-three, like a sheep he was led to the slaughter, and like a lamb before its shear is silent. So he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. Well, this is a passage that's familiar to us, but put yourself in the Ethiopian eunuch's sandals for a moment. Here's a man that probably had not the privilege of reading even all of the Old Testament. He had heard very much New Covenant proclamation of the Word of God, yet he was seeking Yahweh. He was seeking the God of Israel, and he asks, is the author talking about himself or someone else? For if you look at this and you try to see it through his eyes, you recognize that it isn't completely clear. Now, if he had been reading through the book like we are are thinking he might have, he would have encountered a number of passages already that spoke of the servant. And this uh, particular text that that is recorded in in Isaiah 53 actually begins in, in chapter 52, and we see in that text that... This servant, whoever it is, is exalted and yet is a victim of rejection and hatred from men. He was deprived of justice and treated as an outcast. He is the one who suffers for others and is smitten of God and afflicted. He suffers for the sins of others, this servant, and is then offered as a guilt offering And even though there's an obscurity in Isaiah about this text and who this servant is, we see that this servant's suffering brings healing and salvation for his people. What an awesome springboard to share the gospel. And that's exactly what Philip does. This Ethiopian was a man who was rejected by others. Who was an outsider. And here he hears of one who was rejected by men, scorned by his fellow men, yet he suffered and died so that men could be saved. The way that Luke reports this and philip's presentation of the gospel reminds us of how jesus brought the gospel to those he met on the road to emmaus in luke 24 and it says that jesus began with moses and all the prophets and interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself oh that we could be such students of god's word that we could take we could springboard from various places in Scripture to share the Gospel and to speak of Jesus Christ and who He has done, what He has done. Philip told this man about Jesus, and while Luke doesn't explicitly relate it, he shows the pattern of Gospel proclamation in other places of Scripture in in Acts. And we see in Peter's sermon at Pentecost, where there's repentance and, and tr- trust in Christ and, and kind of that trifecta of gospel res- response of, of faith, repentance, and baptism. And that brings us now to our third point, an eager convert. And that's certainly what this man was. He heard the gospel. As Calvin said about this man, faith was ripe in his heart. And you see that because you see his response and his eagerness to receive the gospel and to understand who that suffering servant was. And then he's eager to be baptized. He expresses that desire quickly. And, and we might wonder, how did he know about baptism? Why did he, why did, was that the first thing he mentioned? Well, he had obviously been taught and Philip probably taught that to him as he presented the gospel to him. Now, you might notice in in the ESV that verse 37 is omitted. I'm sure you probably have a footnote explaining that. But let me just read that from the the authorized version, which says, Philip, in response to the eunuch's question about baptism, he says, If thou believest with all thine heart, thou mayest. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Not every um, Greek uh, manuscript has that verse, and that's why they chose to omit it. You'll see that, but it is very consistent with the rest of the text. It is very consistent with with what is seen in in the rest of this text that that he trusted in Christ for his salvation. He had an eager desire to receive the sign and seal of inclusion into God's family. This man who was an outcast by those in the religious world in Jerusalem. He's eager to receive the mark of being a follower of Christ. He sees some water. Maybe it wasn't a lot of water. It says that they went down into the water, so it, it, it must have had some reasonable depth to it. But he was eager to be baptized, to be washed, to be cleansed by Christ. He was eager to receive the sign and the seal of, of being engrafted into Christ. He had received Christ. His sins had been forgiven. He had been born again. He had been adopted into God's family. He had been buried with Christ in his death, and he was eager to receive the seal of being raised again to walk with Christ in newness of life. He was entering into, as our confession says, an open and professed engagement to be holy and only the Lord's. Now, maybe he didn't know all the theology behind that, but that was the desire of his heart, I believe. So I ask you, saints of God, do you reflect upon your baptism? Do you think about what it means to have that that sign and seal upon you? Do you think about what it means that, that you have been marked out as one who seeks to kill sin and live holy unto Christ? Do you see how it shows to the church and the world that you belong to Christ, that you are part of His family, that you seek to live for His glory and not for your own? Do you see how it places Christ's name upon you ...and allows you and and requires you to love others selflessly. This man was eager to have that seal upon him. And he was also eager to embrace the new covenant promises. It's interesting to think about as, as we think about him reading through Isaiah... ...if he had been reading for an extended period of time... Perhaps the words of Isaiah 56 suddenly made sense to him, which say, Let not the foreigner who has joined himself to the Lord say, The Lord will surely separate me from his people. And let not the eunuch say, Behold, I am a dry tree. For thus says the Lord, to the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths, who choose the things that please me and hold fast to my covenant, I will give him in my house and within my walls a monument and a name better than sons and daughters and I will give him an everlasting name that shall not be cut off. These are the new covenant promises to the outcasts. And as I look across this, this group of beautiful people this morning, many of you I know, some of you I know well, some of you I don't know at all, but I dare say that there are some this morning that feel like outcasts. Perhaps it's because of your own sin. Perhaps if If you were really honest with me, you might say, Preacher, you just don't know how much I've sinned or how deeply I've sinned or what I have done. How could God love me? Or maybe that's a sin that's been done to you. And you feel violated and there's deep scars within you and and there's hurt and there's pain and there's grief. And you think, I can't trust in God because of the sin that has been committed against me, the crime that has been done to me. I don't know all your stories and 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 even those of you that I know I dare say that there's probably deep wounds that I don't know about and some that you don't often uncover yet the gospel is for the outcast there is grace for those that are on the outside there are great there's grace for those who are great sinners and those who are the outcasts of society That's who Christ brings in. That's who Christ gathers into his kingdom. So if those words describe you, if you see yourself as an outsider, come to Christ. He is in the business of redeeming souls and restoring the years that the locusts have eaten. Come to Christ. Is it any wonder then that that this man who was an outcast was eager then to go on his way rejoicing? That's exactly what this man did. And as is so often the case in Scripture, often those who go on their way rejoicing are those who are also eager to share their faith. Now, we, the, the Scripture tells us what Philip did. The Lord um, perhaps miraculously teleported him. We don't really know, but he was, he was caught up. He went, he went somewhere else. We don't know for sure how he got there. I'm not going to comment on that any more than that. But he went on somewhere else, and he continued to preach the gospel. And the text doesn't really tell us what the Ethiopian eunuch did, but he rejoiced. And I can't help but think he was an evangelist when he got back home and along the way back to Ethiopia. Evangelists are those who herald the good news. And this man had been given much and been forgiven much. And he knew that the gospel was for all kinds of people. In the first half of the chapter, as we've mentioned, the the gospel was proclaimed to Samaritans, people of a mixed ethnicity. They they weren't really fully Jews, but they were kind of what they they saw them as half-breeds because they were part Jew and part Gentile. They were ordinary citizens, but they knew of Moses. They held Moses in high regard, yet they disregarded and rejected the prophets. But by the preaching of the word and the, and the work of the spirit among them, many came to faith and salvation. And over against that, you have this Ethiopian, a man of, of, of a very different color, a man of, from a very different place, a man of, of prominence and, and, and of, of high rank in his country. But a man who was an eager seeker after God, one who read Isaiah, one of the... Prophets that the Samaritans rejected. And despite their differences in rank, in ethnicity, in religion, Philip presented the gospel to them both, and God worked mightily in both situations. The gospel this morning is for all kinds of people. And we, as God's people, need to freely and eagerly present the gospel to all because we don't know who the elect are. We don't know who will respond in faith. Yes, the elect will respond in faith, we know. And those who are not, will not. But we have a responsibility as the people of God to proclaim the gospel to all. The gospel is for everyone. We don't know where the Spirit is working, so we proclaim it broadly. And we, we know that there is power in Christ to redeem lost souls, to bring the outcasts in. And also, the gospel is for you. And if you are here this morning and you are outside of Christ and perhaps you feel like your sins keep you outside, Christ died for sinners. And I invite you to come to Christ today, receive him, confess your sins and trust fully and exclusively in Jesus Christ and you can be saved. This morning as we've thought about God's grace to sinners and especially to this one who... ...who in, in light of other scripture seems like a, an exception to the rule. Yet, yet God is using that to show us that, that Christ came to save all kinds of sinners. God in his mercy drew him and sent him on his way rejoicing. If you're in Christ this morning, you know of God's grace. You are a partaker of the grace and mercy that you have been shown in Christ... And as we celebrate the Lord's Supper here this morning, we commemorate this this grace and mercy, but it's not just a meal of commemoration or remembrance. In it, we commune with our Lord Jesus Christ, we reflect upon His work, and we dine with Him, our covenant head. He is with us in and by His Word, and through His Holy Spirit, His presence is here, and we rejoice in the work that He has done for us, and we rejoice And we feast upon the rich spiritual food that is ours.